Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. Over the next hour, you'll learn from experienced professionals the options you have to make smart decisions in your own divorce journey. Now, here is your host. My name is Brooke Benson. Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter. I saw a wedding planning magazine and realized people need the same kind of guide for getting unmarried. I do not advocate for divorce. In fact, I don't even get involved in relationship issues at all. If you decide to end a relationship or your partner does, I'm here to help with sensible, practical, and often low-cost ways to prepare for the split. Only when you know what you want can you work towards your own best outcomes. And there are many professions with specialties in the area of divorce. This show is dedicated to hearing from them, compiling some of their best information, and incorporating it into my workbook by the same name. It is now available for download at planfordivorce.org. Again, that's planfordivorce.org. You can download an e-version of the workbook for $25. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Today, we are very fortunate to hear from two women with lots of experience on the topic of divorce. Coincidentally, all three of us are members of a professional group called Provisors, Um, Look it up because it's actually pretty cool. We're in different states and it's a business referral network. Today, my first guest is Mary Jo LaFay. Mary Jo is a home equity retirement specialist with Mutual of Omaha Reverse Mortgage. Since 2003, she has assisted financial and legal professionals and the retirees they serve to incorporate housing wealth into their retirement income stream as a tool to manage cash flow and liquidity and to improve financial outcomes through retirement. She is a well-known educator in this field and she offers continuing education credits to certified financial planners, realtors, fiduciaries, CPAs, attorneys, and other professional groups. Um, I'd love to read all the associations she belongs to, but it is the longest list of acronyms I've ever seen. It's like LMNO Goldfish. (laughs) So Mary Jo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brooke. It's so great to be here. I'm I'm, uh, looking forward to our discussion about silver divorce today. Awesome. Okay, me too. It's great to have you here. And I know you're super busy. So thank you for taking time to join us. Um, I guess, first of all, what what in your background and your personal life found you thinking about silver divorce and guiding your practice toward working with retirees who are considering or undergoing divorce? Well, um, I, I've been a home equity retirement specialist for a little over 20 years now, and I've been working uh, primarily in California where I live. But I, I work for a company that's nas- nationally licensed, so I do loans all over the place. And um, I have worked with a lot of people that are in retirement or nearing retirement, and they are realizing that a large portion of the wealth they have accumulated over their working years is sitting in their home. 
And uh, when you hit road bumps in life, it's, you know, it's a time that you start looking at your assets and your different resources to figure out how those resources are going to best be put to use to solve whatever, whatever challenge is in front of you. And for some people, that challenge might be needing to pay for care for themselves or for a spouse. And for others, it might be that they're looking to downsize, uh, move closer to children, perhaps to a more expensive area than where they live. So they need to access uh, the right type of financing and, and their equity to do that. And for other people, um, it's that they're they're looking to split ways and become an independent entity after decades of marriage. Uh, sometimes it's a first marriage or second marriage, but um, uh, that's that's where I step in. So tell us a little bit about Silver Divorce Consulting. Uh, so Silver Divorce Consulting is, is a new venture that I'm collaborating with uh, uh, Pete Newworth, who is a, a brilliant actuary, a linguist, and a, a published author, author many times over. Uh, he has his own consulting business, and uh, he is a, he's focusing at this point a lot of his energies on silver divorce and the the um, ways to split people's assets during divorce that are the least complicated and the most equitable. And those two tend to go together because if something's too complicated uh, and and the the professionals that are working in that capacity don't know how to deal with those complications, then things can be less equitable and more expensive than they otherwise might be. So um, I've been working with Dr. Barry Sachs. He's a, uh, uh, one of the top tax attorneys uh, specializing in 401k and retirement uh, wealth in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we've been working for about 15 years on some different academic projects and presentations to national organizations. And then he's been collaborating with Pete Newart, the actuary. And about a year, year and a half ago, uh, we the three of us started collaborating and kind of seeing there's there's a um, a growing need for uh, help for older people getting divorced. Um, as you know, as a certified divorce lending professional, the only demographic with a rising divorce rate today is uh, people 50 and over. Which is so remarkable. I mean, I always think of, you know, when children come into the marriage and everything gets, you know, catast not catastrophic, but all confused. <laughs> Chaotic is the word I was looking for. Is that for. a Freudian slip? No. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> when you have children and things start to get chaotic, that that puts a big strain on a marriage. But I am familiar with the statistic that uh, the older Americans divorce at an even higher rate. Uh, can you talk about either your considerations or tools, strategies that are related to silver divorce that might be different from younger couples who are divorcing? Sure. Um, so as as many of us unfortunately know, uh, divorcing when you're younger, you, you have pretty specific um, challenges. Uh, typically, there are children involved. And, um, you know, you may have had one spouse staying at home and the other pursuing a career, but the focus tends to be on, you know, the separation of the family and how all the new entities of and, and configurations of that family can thrive. Uh, there's child support, custody agreements, logistics of who's going to live where, 
what school the kids are going to go to. So it's very family centric, typically. And then as we as we get older, um, we have a very different picture because often in silver divorce, the children are gone and or they're they're in college or they're you know off getting married and so forth. So the focus becomes more on how are these two people going to survive their retirement years and both exit the the relationship in the union whole so that they don't have huge stressors over housing and income you know for even for a couple together uh, retiring in in the environment we live in today with inflation and rising housing prices is difficult and then when you split that into two households with potentially you know two housing expenses two insurance costs, utilities, and two new roofs, you know, when the time comes, it just really compounds uh, a difficult equation. I think it was Robert Merton, the uh, the Nobel Prize laureate in economics that said, uh, retirement is the most difficult equation to solve because literally everything in that equation is a variable. Uh, we don't know so many things. So, you know, the focus really becomes on how to divide the assets in a way that puts everyone in a comfortable position so that they can retire and uh, not have to worry about taking on a mortgage payment or becoming a renter at a time when they really need to be preserving their nest egg. You're the person actually who told me, uh, and I'm going to probably get it wrong, but it was something along the lines of retirement is the only life event for which you really can't borrow money. Do you remember saying that or something along those lines? Um, you know, I, I'm I'm getting close to uh, that that demographic that would be considered silver divorce. So, Brooke, no, I don't remember everything I've ever said, but that sounds like something that would have come out of my mouth at some point because it's true. It's just it's it's hard, you know. If you're retired, even if you have a lot of equity, it can be difficult to borrow money, and if you're trying to buy out a spouse and not. Uh, not cash in retirement accounts that you're going to need later, it gets tricky. So having the right team and the right tools are really the key to coming out of this uh, and, and in a place where you can enjoy uh, your retirement and create a life that is going to to allow you to thrive. Um, you're also the person who told me that uh, if I don't want to have breakfast across the guy every day for the rest of my life, you know, maybe that was a consideration for me. <laughs> okay, I've revised that. It's every other day. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not a breakfast person, anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But that makes it easy. Yeah, it does. Okay, sorry to get us off track, but I do think the breakfast. Uh, when you specifically talk about silver divorce, I always picture the breakfast table, and I don't think it's necessarily something that you said, but I do try to imagine myself, you know, with the person I had children with. Fast forward, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. And, you know, would we even have anything to say to each other at the breakfast table? Now, I mean, my divorce was in 06, so it's obviously been a while. And and actually, you also have personal experience with divorce. Did that factor in at all to how you kind of got focused on this? Uh, not so much. Uh, I, I got divorced in the 90s when my daughter was two and a half. So my 
my focus was really, uh, you know, the separation of the family and how to make that the least impactful on my daughter and, um, and create, you know, create the life I wanted. So, um, you know, it really is, is my, my career as a home equity retirement specialist and, and having people come to me in their 60s and 70s and even their 80s, surprisingly, uh, getting divorced. And I, I really had no idea that people did that. And, um, and actually, one in four people getting divorced today is over 50. And one in 10 is over 65. Which is remarkable. I mean, I've seen that statistic too, and it's confusing to me. I mean, I I know you know my parents are still married and happily married. And the idea of waiting until, you know, my kids are gone and doing everything that they want to accomplish in their own lives and then ending a marriage, I mean, it's a it's a big you know, it's a big decision and it's obviously going to impact the rest of your life. Why, if you're, if you're an older homeowner, or even if you're not a homeowner, if you're an older person and you're thinking of ending your marriage or union, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a legal marriage. Why is it so important to get the right team together in a silver divorce versus just you know, you were talking about when people are younger, just going out and finding a lawyer and getting it over with. What What are the different parts? Who has to come to the table in a silver divorce? Yeah, that's that's a great question because I was it Nora Ephron that said a marriage is come and go, divorces forever. Yes. Yeah. So you know, you can you can kind of restart relationships potentially, but once you get divorced, it, it's kind of it's kind of final. You know, you got you got to figure out what's going to what's going to put both parties, hopefully, in a reasonably comfortable position for a long time at a time when they're already vulnerable um, because many of them are, are winding down their career. Um, you know, if you hit uh, get close to retirement and there's a, a big financial crisis like there was in 2008 or COVID, the or pandemic. COVID, yeah, people over fifty. I think the the unemployment rate for people over fifty during the financial crisis was about triple what it was for the rest of the population. So if you know if you happen to be getting divorced, maybe even when the stock market is at a at a low, and you have to start drawing on your your retirement assets early, that will create a downward spiral. It's called a sequence of returns. Uh, where you just end up, instead of your money lasting 30 years, it may last 10 or 12. Well, and as part of that for tax reasons, the implication of having to withdraw early? Well, and it's, you know, the the old saying, um, buy low, sell high. If you start cashing in your investments to create income earlier than you should, at a time when the market, the, the your securities portfolio is losing value, declining in value, then you're selling low. And if you do that early in retirement, then you have you have eliminated uh, an enormous amount of opportunity for growth on those assets that you have to spend uh, earlier than you planned. So, you know, having the team that, that fully understands how to incorporate housing wealth at the right time and that can uh, has the software to demonstrate to you, OK, what is your retirement going to look like if you start spending your 401k early or have to split that in half 
to buy out your spouse that you're going to buy your his half or her half of the house from, as opposed to what would that look like if you obtained the right type of financing to, to make those moves and didn't touch your securities portfolio, which may be taxable, maybe may have other uh, fees involved in cashing those assets in. So it's so important um, to have the right team. And one thing I've learned, have, having been in the in finance and mortgage lending for 20 years, is that people in these professions are very specialized. You know, they have a they have a lot to manage. If you're a, a if you're building someone's wealth, if you're managing somebody's um, you know uh, legal matters, they really have to have a, a laser focus on what they're responsible for. And you may not, you may think, oh, my attorney is super smart. So they're going to understand everything there is to know about the best type of financing. But, you know, a, a good attorney will have a good team. A good financial advisor will have a good team. Any professional that you work with should have a team that addresses your home equity, which may be one of your largest assets understanding how to use that appropriately for your age, your income level, your future, you know, income needs is paramount to creating a successful scenario for yourself. Okay. I understand what you're saying, but, you know, when I think about someone who may, you know, use their home equity as a form of, you know, whether it's actually generating income for them or, you know, offsetting expenses, whatever. Um, what happens if that person doesn't have any errors? I mean, I know with a reverse mortgage, you don't have to pay, you don't have to make payments on it, right? That is correct. So let's say you're living in the house and you decide that, yes, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm getting divorced. I'm going to do a reverse mortgage, pay out the X or, you know, whatever. But I mean, I know just doing normal mortgages, people say, well, what happens, you know, if something happens to me? So what do you tell if let's just say an older couple splits and they never had children together? You know, maybe they've each got their own kids or whatever. But what happens if there's a divorce between two older people and neither one of them really has any heirs? Well, it, it's going to be the same whether they have heirs or not, whether they have a conventional loan or a reverse mortgage. When that person passes away, the loan is due and whoever they choose to leave it to uh, will inherit the property at the value at that time. So if if a person does a reverse mortgage to buy out their spouse so that they can keep the home and they live in that home for 20 more years, maybe the values tripled. So maybe now that million dollar house is worth three million and that five hundred thousand dollar reverse mortgage is now uh, worth at a million five. So they have a much bigger home value, a much larger debt and potentially a larger amount of equity that they're going to leave. I just had a client pass away last month at one hundred and two. Wow. His son actually predeceased him. So all of his uh, remaining equity went to charities. You're kidding. I'm not kidding. And uh, he he was an artist and a very interesting guy. He was there at when Pearl Harbor, when the planes were flying over. What? Yeah. 
Yeah, oh so my goodness. A lot of history there. And uh, so he left his house to charities and they will, uh, you know, the, the house will be sold by a realtor that he chose before he passed. And the remaining equity will be divided among the charities as his trust dictates. So whether you have a conventional loan or a reverse mortgage, they're not assumable. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, your kids can just move into your house if you have a conventional loan. Uh, but those loans are actually due. But, but by the same token, it's a non-recourse loan, right? Reverse mortgages are all non-recourse. Conventional loans usually are not unless they're used for acquisition debt. And that may vary state by state. I'm pretty sure it does. So don't take that as uh, legal advice or anything. But and will you describe what non-recourse is? Because sure. I just threw that out there. Yeah, non-recourse is a very important feature, particularly on a reverse mortgage uh, where the debt is rising as as you live in it because each month, like a conventional loan, the interest accrues, but you don't have to pay it. You don't have to use your cash on hand or your income. You get to let it ride. So you're they're going to add it to what you owe. You can pay it anytime you want, but you're never forced to pay it. So uh, you get to live in the house for the rest of your life with no mortgage repayment. You just pay your property tax and homeowner's insurance and any other property charges that if you have an HOA or something. Um, but the... Um, the difference is with non-recourse is that if you end up owing more than the house is worth, you don't actually owe that money. None of your other assets would ever be liable to repay the debt secured by your primary residence. If you if the primary residence doesn't have sufficient equity to cover the debt when you pass, uh, then the the lender will either take that hit and it'll it'll be recorded as a loss or if it's an fha insured reverse mortgage then the fha mortgage insurance fund will pay that that amount to the lender so the estate the the borrower and their estate uh are are both protected by the non-recourse feature that's so interesting so you in your bio i, I mean i just read it out to the listeners that you talk to all kinds of different groups uh, professionals Let's just say I were going through a silver, you know, fast forward my age and let's say I'm older, you know, my kids are off doing their thing and you had to plan my team. Who would you put on it? Obviously, besides yourself. Yeah, I would, I would definitely be number one. Yeah. Just number but, you know, if you fast forward <laughs> 20 years, um, that makes 20 years better. Yeah. Okay. Today's actually our guest's birthday. Oh, so age yeah. is the uh, uh, same thing we've been kind of talking about. Topic of age and cake. Those are the topics <laughs> of the day for Mary Jo. And barbecue. And barbecue. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, a, a financial advisor, you know, somebody that is familiar to, with divorce, they have the certified divorce financial analysts. Uh, definitely, if you're considering a quadro or you have pensions involved, you want an actuary. Um, and, uh, you know, probably not somebody that just is familiar with actuarial science, but an actual actuary that uh, can do those calculations because they can get very complex. Um, and then, of course, you're going to have your family law attorney, um, you know, if you're working with a collaborative attorney or a mediator. What or... about insurance? Do you ever have like an insurance person talking about all the contingencies once you do break up a union? Definitely. And especially, you know, if, if you, I mean, one way to, to solve for 
the home, if the home is going to go to the heirs and one of the heirs wants to keep the home, there could be a life insurance policy purchase to pay off the reverse mortgage when the borrower passes. So there are a lot of different uh, professionals, um, you know, finance, the correct financial advisor, the, you know, the type of attorney, if you need a litigator or more of a collaborative situation and a certified divorce lending professional like yourself is of course, very important. And I know you also do with reverse mortgages. So you're, you know, you're in a position to help people of any age, which is a huge benefit because you're not going to try to put a a round peg into a square hole. You're going to find the right lending solution uh, for whatever age and and situation. Okay. So this is kind of random. um, And I'm just thinking through it and you can tell me what the pitfalls would be, but I'm aware that with a reverse mortgage, it really needs to be your primary residence, right? So let's say you're married and you're of age to do a reverse mortgage and you've agreed to divorce your partner. Could you do a reverse mortgage on your primary residence and use the funds to purchase another home for the departing spouse? Yes. So that that's a common scenario. Uh, so let's say you've got Jack and Jill and they own a home together uh, worth a million bucks. And Jill says, I want to keep the home. So she's she needs to do a reverse mortgage or a conventional loan, depending on her age and you know retirement plan uh, for half a million dollars to buy out Jack. So then now Jill has a loan on her house. If it's a conventional loan, she'll need to be able to make that mortgage payment. If it's a reverse mortgage, she will not be taking on a mortgage payment um, for as long as she lives in the house. She'll just she'll keep paying the property taxes right. and the insurance. All the property charges, right? She has to abide by the loan terms, live in the house and pay all the property charges and utilities and so forth. And that's how she qualifies. So it's it's very minimal income in qualifying. Uh, requirements for a reverse mortgage. And then she gives Jack his half a million. Now he's got a huge down payment. So he could go and buy a, let's say he wants to buy a condo because he's going to travel and he doesn't want to maintain the yard and the roof and all that. So let's say he goes, buys a condo for 800,000. He takes out of the 500,000 that Jill gave him, he takes 400,000 and uses that for a down payment and then a reverse mortgage purchase loan. So you can actually get a reverse mortgage that is secured by the new property, Jack's home, based on his age and interest rates at the time and the home value. So he buys a condo for 800,000. He puts 400 down from the 500 he got from Jill. He gets a reverse mortgage purchase for the other 400. Now he's got a hundred thousand in cash left over to buy himself a Porsche. And uh, is that what he's going to do? Or a Tesla, you know, <laughs> oh, Evo, whatever. Um, uh, so then uh, now he has no mortgage payment. So now you've got two people in retirement that are homeowners. They've split their assets. They each get half of the uh, the securities portfolio. So nobody's had to give up their their retirement assets to buy the other one out. They've used home equity through a reverse mortgage for each of them. Now they're both homeowners. Nobody's paying a mortgage payment and nobody's had to become a renter. So when I explain this to financial advisors and family law attorneys, they just kind of give me the Jack Russell look like, what? (laughs) 
Ah, wait, how does that work? And <laughs> say that again, a hundred percent of the time I have to put it in writing and go over it line, line by line, because it, it really, you know, the, the number one response I get is it sounds too good to be true. It sounds like a scam. It sounds what like people would say, yeah, but it's really just a loan. Interest is going to accrue, you know, and, and borrowers ask me that all the time. What's the catch? I say, well, the catch is this is not a grant. It's a loan. And there are setup fees, just like a conventional loan. There is interest that accrues, just like a conventional loan. And you're going to owe more in 10 years than you owe today. But ideally, your property should be appreciating in value, in right? Areas, I mean, unless yeah. you just let it go downhill, which you're really not supposed to do with a reverse mortgage or with any mortgage. Right. You're not supposed to just let it go downhill. Yeah. Real estate tends to go up in value. Sometimes it, you know, it it goes in reverse for a while, but um, over the long haul, it, it does tend to go up. So typically people's uh, home appreciation is going to cover all or part or maybe even more than the interest that's accruing. But that's that's a complete unknown. If anybody that tells you, oh, you can just refinance in two years and get more money, just walk away from them because that's predicting the future and we don't recommend that. Yeah, it's also not the easiest thing in the world to refinance a reverse mortgage. Isn't that the case? Uh, it's been really easy until about a year ago because home values were going up and interest rates were going down. And strangely enough, all of my borrowers were getting older every year. So it was, it was the, just was, like you, just like me. It was the ultimate trifecta. And I was refinancing people two and three, and some people were on their fourth reverse mortgage. Wow. More money each time. There's at, California for yeah, you at a lower interest rate. Um, but that is never something that I would promise or even uh, or even say is likely. I think that was you know that was a period of time that was unusual and wonderful, and maybe we will see it again, and maybe we won't. But anytime I do a loan for somebody, I say just assume this is the last time you will get money out of your house, and if you ever need more money, call me. And there's a possibility, but not a probability that you can get more. Very good information. Um, okay, so we're running out of time, but why don't you take a few minutes and just tell our listeners how they could find you and whether you, you know, can you would respond to reach out with questions, things like that. I always respond. Um, I am in San Antonio visiting you right now, yeah. so I'm probably a little less responsive today. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very responsive. I have a full-time person that helps me respond when I'm traveling or doing webinars or seminars. Um, but the best way to reach me is M. Lafay. M is for Mary. Lafay is my last name that I stole from my ex-husband. And that's L-A-F as in Frank, A-Y-E. So I think M you worked for that name. You really didn't I did. steal it. I, it I, I think he suffered for it. <laughs> Just a wee bit. Um, it's uh, Lafay at silverdivorceconsulting.com. And that is the joint venture with Pete Newworth, the actuary, and Barry Sachs, the uh, tax attorney. And so we, we work uh, collaboratively to help people really, you know, see the whole picture. And we we work with their family law attorneys, their divorce financial analysts, their CPAs, anybody that, that they want to involve. We welcome the collaboration and uh, try to work together in a way that will really benefit the client to put them in the best position for the long term. Excellent. Oh, my goodness. That was just so informative and very concise. Thank very, you. really good job. Important information, people. 
people need. I mean, if they're going to consider, you called it a tool. I think of it as like arrows in your quiver. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to do a quadro and divide up your retirement. There are other alternatives to that. And I think that is something that, you know, no matter what your age, uh, educating yourself and getting the right people to advise you to make the best decision for your own circumstances is a really good idea. So if you're listening, as always, and I've said this many times, be sure that you find these professionals wherever you are. State laws do vary from state to state, and all of the people on this show are proven experts in their field, but they may not actually serve your state. Okay, so up next, we have Hannah Tembry bell Hannah is my friend and the founding attorney of Hembry bell Law Firm, where she focuses her practice on family law, divorce, and estate planning. And Mary Jo, I hope you'll stay right there in the seat next to me because you may also have some comments or questions for Hannah. Um, It's nice to be able to do this kind of in this format and be able to exchange ideas and questions. And hopefully the two of you will connect and, you know, kind of keep the conversation going. Hi, Hannah. I'd love that. Hey, y'all. How are you today? I'm so happy to be here today. Hi, Brooke. This is so fun that this worked out. And I'm always glad to meet new friends in this space. And I'm I'm maximizing um, my Zoom screen. So the only thing I'm thinking about or talking about is with y'all. So I'm excited for that. Just don't, don't look at me too closely. I'm in my natural habitat over here. Well, I always assume now that any podcast speaking thing is going to be on a Zoom. And so whenever I saw your message, I was like, oh, man, it was a T-shirt optional potential day at the office today. I'm sorry. I wish I had gotten that to you before. But as always, you look fantastic. I I feel bad for you because you really do have a face for television. I have a face (laughs) for radio. And that's not true. Okay, so I'm really excited and I know you have a lot to cover and um, like Mary Jo and like me, you have personal experience with divorce. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it impacts what you do now? Yeah, I I literally wouldn't be a divorce and family law attorney, but for my own personal experience. So I um, was a recruiter before I went to law school and I had a recruiting business with nurse practitioners and PAs. And, um, you know, I, I liked doing that fine, but it didn't feel like the thing. Um, and anyway, I ended up going to law school when I, I, I did pretty good in school. And when I got out, I at first worked at a big law firm. And that's um, one of these like, you know, high rise office building sort of things. And it was um, great. I loved it. I worked with really great people, but it wasn't the thing, you know, that thing in your heart that speaks out to you and it was good and I liked it and I had fun, but it wasn't the thing. And while I was at the firm, I was um, in the middle of, uh, I was already divorced by then. And I was in the middle of a custody modification um, dispute, the first one. So for people who are not super duper familiar, but I guess if they're listening, they're kind of like after you get divorced is not necessarily done. It keeps going if you have kids for at least 18 years. And we all know with any big kids, it keeps going after that. So um, the divorce piece happened while I was in school and the custody modification part picked up pretty soon thereafter. And 
I really wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy. Um, and throughout that process, um, it became clear to me that there was there was a gap, there was a hole in the sort of lawyer who could work with somebody like me um, in a way that met me on my terms with what I needed. And so for me, what that meant, like, I don't need somebody to hold my hand on every single thing, but I want to feel informed about everything that's going on. And if I haven't heard from you in a while, I'm asking questions. How's this money being spent? Um, and it was hard for me, even though I was in law school and even though then I was an attorney, to find an attorney who matched my situation. And so it's like one of those, I, I'm one of these people. Once I know something, I can't unknow it. I don't know if you're like that, Brooke. Um, but once I know it, I can't unknow it. And then I knew in my spirit, like, I've got to be the sort of lawyer I wished I would have had. And my attorney in the custody modification, very amazing person, lawyer, he's my friend. Um, you want him going to the courtroom with you, no question. He would be the first to admit when it comes to the daily questions, well, what happens on Friday if my ex-husband is waving a child support check um, in my face in at the gas station at Bucky's and the check blows off? What do I do? And I wanted to be the kind of lawyer and felt like I kind of had to, a sort of a should, a destiny thing that I wished I would have had then and try to meet people in that Bucky's phone call kind of combo. That's exactly the same reason that I wrote my workbook. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to write something that I wish somebody had just handed me and said, here, here are some things for you to think about. Here are some things to help you some exercises to help you decide what are your the hills that you want to die on you know mm -hmm. where are you going to absolutely stand up and say this is i'm not accepting less than this or what issue is so salient for me that i'm not willing to give on it so mm -hmm. it's interesting that you say that that you didn't have somebody who really could meet what you were looking for i actually had a great attorney and and she helped me a lot but not everybody has someone as compassionate as she is or as compassionate as you are so I really appreciate what you're doing in terms of adding kind of a more human touch to something that really is kind of a big, it's, you know, the law is kind of a big machine and, and you have to work within its parameters. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I think the main thing, look, and I'm not perfect. And some of my clients, my staff, I'm sure would be the first ones to tell, you know, to admit that I admit that all the time. I'm just doing my best. Um, and sometimes we get it right in life and sometimes we don't. But I think the thing that that I've nailed and that our firm has nailed is one of the things we say all the time. You come to me with practical problems. They may or may not have legal solutions. And I think a lot of lawyers flip it. I they love that. Are, Anna. I'm actually writing that down. Oh, good. OK, I love it. Um, but, you know, they they are a hammer that sees everything as a nail. So everything, they're going to pull out a code book. They're going to Google jurisdiction, et cetera. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The best advice I can often give is do nothing. Say less. Be quiet. Go home. Because one of the things that so many people don't understand, because no one tells them, um, no one explains what it's like. There's a lot of talk about divorce and how to get divorced 
And then how do you live with this afterwards? What happens next? And there's not a lot of information that isn't, hey, try to co-parent really well. And like, can y'all just get along? Like, huh, well, if only I would have thought of that, then I wouldn't be <laughs> in this situation. You mean like, Did you say, get along? let me write you a check. Thank you for that yeah. great advice. Right, please. Oh, shoot fire. So I think for me, the difference that, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, gets me is I'm a divorce lawyer who's divorced. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you a bunch of stuff um, that is easy said, not easy done. Or if I do, I'm going to say to you, hey, this is easy for me to say. It's not easy to do. And I've been there and I understand what you're going through. And I think so much in this world, one of the things um, that happens is you feel alone. And recently I was watching, um, we watched all the Star Wars all the way through again. And um, one of the things in the later Star Wars is like the way they get you is make you feel like you're alone. And I think that that's some of what's going on here is that you can feel alone and you're not. Over half of people go through this, but there's some shame still. There's when people some... think divorce is contagious, right? I mean, if you're in a, <laughs> yeah. you know, no, I mean, I, I've talked to people who've said, well, this couple in our kind of in our circle got divorced and now, you know, we all wonder like who's going to be next. I hope it's contagious. That's <laughs> good for business. For well, you. I don't mean like that. No, 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 no. Don't hear me wrong. I, I wish I didn't have a business. You know, I, I am in the business of helping families. I know. And people are. say, oh, you're a divorce lawyer. You must hate, you must hate families. And one guy one time said so ugly to me on LinkedIn. Like, dude, I am in the business of helping families end their marriage, deal with their custody situation well. But what right. I mean by I hope the divorce is contagious is people don't get divorced because it's fun. They don't get divorced because this sounds like a good way to spend their time, their money, their energy. They get right. divorced because they're unhappy in their marriage. So if one person, oh, I just got chills. If one I know, person you in a gave group, me chills too. Yeah, gets divorced. And then the other people in their group think, hmm, if Brooke can do it, if Hannah can do it, maybe I can do it. That guy, that mom, that dad, then catches the courage to stand up and bet on themselves and make a new choice for their life and demonstrate for their kids that if you ever get yourself in a situation that isn't the life you planned or that you wanted, that you would have the courage to begin again. I exactly. sure as heck hope it's contagious. Now, good marriages don't end in divorce. Right. So to me, it's like that one Louis C.K. little bit he does, like divorce is good news because happy marriages don't end in a divorce. So. Right. You know, my thought is, look, I get why it gets a bad rap. It's 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 the worst it can be. And for most people, it is right. Most people are not emotionally mature enough to end their marriage fully well, like a la Gwyneth Paltrow style, because they, um, you know, they're getting divorced because somebody isn't it's not working out. Exactly. Um, fighting or whatever. And it's not that you know, sometimes people just grow apart. But more often than not, at least one party is unable to function in an emotionally healthy way. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I see, that's how it goes. Okay, so that's a perfect segue into what I would like for you to talk about, which is co-parenting with that person. So mm -hmm. this is something that I find in some cases counterintuitive, 
because you couldn't survive together as a couple. Something wasn't working, whether it was communication or certain behaviors or whatever. And now you've got to send your kids over there without you. So can you talk about some of the mistakes, like the most common mistakes that you see when, you know, somebody is finally divorced and they're setting up, you know, how the pattern of how kids are going to go back and forth? What would you tell our listeners to avoid if at all possible? Okay. Number one thing is don't expect your divorce decree or the courts to be a civility code or the nice police. Okay. There's a reason you're divorcing this person and getting a divorce decree is not all of a sudden going to cure all of their problems. Yeah. In fact, there's no law in- against being an asshole. Yeah, a hundred percent. Oh, it'd be interesting if there was. I could <laughs> probably make a big career out of that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the the mistake that people make is they'll get this divorce decree, and let's just pretend the decree is at least medium decent, right? A lot the decrees vary, but let's say it's at least medium decent. But then they'll immediately, like right away, well, he didn't, she didn't. They're not co-parenting with me. They're not answering, and. We have to explain to them that, look, this person, they're going to be probably at least at first worse than they were in the middle of the divorce because the eyes of the court are not on them right now. Um, You're not living in the same house with them to get any control over the situation for sure. I mean, usually for sure by now. And so like, for instance, one one case recently, um, as soon as the ink is dry, like within a month, we have our client, let's just call her um, Rhonda. Rhonda messaging us about how the ex, now ex-husband, isn't paying his part of tap dance lessons. And he needs to do that. And you need to file a motion for enforcement. Oh, okay. Hang on just a second. Oh, and also he's being a jerk about it. Make him stop being a jerk. Well, okay. The make him stop being a jerk. I mean, we got to have a convo about how to go about that. And then the other part kind of goes into the second point, like, um, trying to live and die on these technicalities and some of these decrees. Look, we write them so that you can get them in and enforce them. But what I tell my clients all the time, laws and rules are for law and rule abiding people. And if they're not going to abide by the laws and rules, your options are to go to court and make them. Now, how do you think courts would feel if you come in when they've heard cases about kids getting beat up, Um, men and women having no money, becoming homeless, et cetera. And then all of a sudden you come in for two months. um, This, your ex-husband did not pay you back for $50 worth of tap dance lessons, right? That's not going to go well for you. And so there's some degree of developing a thick, long range patient skin to this process. And hopefully by the time you're divorced, you've learned not to have a hair trigger reaction. At least, you know, some of us, that's a lifelong lesson, right? All of us, I guess, to some extent. But um, try to take a beat, take a breath, and keep the main thing the main thing. And it's really unsatisfying in the short term. It is like people say, wait, she always gets away with everything. He gets to do whatever he wants and never gets in trouble. And I say to them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for now. Mm-hmm. But what happens is 
And that's kind of like a, a tip that I'll talk about in a minute is if you're thinking long range and long term, those little things begin to add up. Little pebbles can create um, a big, you know, turn into a big rock. I think so. That's some tips in a minute. I think another thing people make a big mistake is um, when they start out loosey goosey after the divorce decree is done. And what I mean is you need to, my suggestion would be start hard, go easy next. Like start hard, meaning these are the rules. You need to get some boundaries and some structure for how this works that you can then give on later and bend and whatever. But if from the beginning, you never respect those papers that you spent, God knows, you know, five to a hundred thousand dollars on, then no one ever learns the rules. No one well, ever. Re- and you're establishing yeah. a precedent of just sort of bending over when the other person says, you know, I need it this way. Yeah. And I think that my advice would be, let's just say for at least the first six months, follow the rules for the most part. Now, sometimes you want to give and it. I mean, that is very, very fact dependent. But if I had to choose the first six months, like these are the rules. Okay. And then later, assess each request. And my advice would be after everybody kind of knows how it works, when somebody goes to one house, when you do this and who pays this and all that, especially if they're littles, this is mostly for like kids 12 and under probably, but like getting the rules and the structure set up. So everybody knows what to expect. Your kids know what to expect. Okay. Cause you got to think these little people going through this themselves. Um, so if they and you and your, your X factor, maybe there's a new romantic person involved and they may have kids. Everybody needs to know what to expect, some certainty. And that's love to me. That's love for everyone. And then after that, come from a place of yes. That would be, I guess my, you know, the thing people, the mistake part is people start with no, no, because why? No. Well, because I don't want it because I'm mad. They ask for, yeah, I'm mad or they never give in to me. That's the one people love tit for tap. All right. I don't live my life in a tit for tat perspective. I recommend everybody listening. Those of us who've kind of done any personal development in this journey knows that ain't no way to be. Um, But if you can, can come from a place of yes versus a place of no, it will serve your inner peace and your children long-term. Because a lot of times people, they're just still mad. Um, And divorce can make you bitter or divorce can make you better and you get to choose. So if you want to stay bitter, then you can be a no person. You want to be better, be a yes and make it easy. That doesn't mean you have to say yes every time. And sometimes the answer is no, I can't switch weekends because this good reason or it really doesn't work for our family. Right. So um, that's one of the ways that people make mistakes is they stick in the place of no and kind of being bitter. Um, The other thing I think people do is continue to try to change the other person's mind. Like they will continue to want to convince their ex factor, I call them, mm-hmm. their ex spouse, their ex boyfriend, girlfriend, if it's a custody thing, right? That, or maybe somebody they just had one night with, you know, that happens, <laughs> right? Um, but try to convince that other party that they're a good parent, that they should believe them, that their lifestyle choices um, are moral or whatever. And they'll spend so much time in emails and on the phone trying to persuade this other person to their point of view. And to get some like some love from that person and and to get the judgment to stop. I'm just telling you, it's not going to work. 
They're not going to see it from your perspective. They're going to see it from their perspective. Now, this is all very general. There are parties who can do this, but for most of us, that's not going to be the way. So don't waste your breath, your time, your money. God's sake, don't don't waste your money with an attorney telling them about um, all of the things that this other person um, keeps doing. So I think just keep into the facts when it concerns your kids, keep into the main thing and not trying to persuade them or editorialize on your thoughts on their lifestyle choices and their new girlfriend and whatever, that will help you go a long way if you can avoid those pitfalls. Good. And then let me, I got to say this other one. I know we're getting short on time, but the other big mistake that people make is they make it hard for their kids to love their parent in their house. And in my heart's most sincere thing, I can tell you, this is not me as a lawyer. This is me as a person is make it easy and a mama. I've got four kids. Um, Make it easy for your kids to love their parent in your home. Don't talk mean. Don't talk sideways mean. Don't talk a little bit mean. Don't roll your eyes. Don't make it drama. Just make it easy for them. Don't don't make it cost them to love their parent in your house. Um, and long term, even if it's hard, like chewing gravel in your teeth at first, it gets easier and your kids will relax and have relief into that safety with you. And I'm telling you, that is probably the number one long term thing you can do for your kids is make it easy for them to love their mama or their daddy. Yeah, I heard somebody say, I mean, and and the ex was a bad guy. But somebody said to my friend, you know, even murderers and rapists in jail, they get to see their kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually I think some of those personalities, you know, they do it to themselves. But I agree that trying to keep that open for a child is the advisable thing to do. It's so great to hear from you, Hannah, and I hope you'll come back. I know you've got all kinds of information that's worth hearing. Um, it's always a good reminder for me. My children are grown, but you know, it's still important and it's it's really good information. Yeah. So. Brick, it sounds like we need to do another episode that like these are kind of the mistakes people make and some tips yes. of things to answer those mistakes and some real practical stuff. And so I would love, I'd to, love do, to yeah, I'd love to do a show on uh undermining behavior and you know things that just sort of happen that we've seen both of us from our clients and maybe also in our lives. So for sure I'd really like to have you back. And thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, well, and hey, I've got a couple things coming up um, too. If there are any lawyer moms listening to this podcast, if you'd like to join a group of law moms to retreat, restore, and renew in Austin, Texas, we have um, a law mom retreat coming up in December. So you can follow me everywhere on social media at Hembree, H-E-M-B-R-E-E, Bell Law. Um, Send us a message. We'd love to get you signed up for the retreat and you can watch some more videos and other content we share, just like the stuff I'm talking about from the heart today. So thanks for having me, Brooke. Thank you, Hannah. That's just wonderful. I really appreciate you. And if you're listening, don't forget, if you are looking for where to start or just some information to kind of get your thought process going on a personal breakup, just navigate to planfordivorce.org and you can download my e-workbook for $25. So until next week, thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to Plan for Divorce, Your Next Chapter with host Brooke Benson. 
We hope today's episode has given you a new perspective on divorce and food for thought as you make some important decisions. Until we talk again, hang in there. You are not alone.